podcast listeners. This is your host, Lene Cook. And if this is your first time listening to BTS podcast, hello, welcome. On this podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. That is what BTS stands for. And I am so grateful that I had a chance to sit down with Jordan Moses of Blackbird Revolt. That's who this episode is with. And we have a really great conversation. And I've listened to it several times over and it makes me smile. And I'm grateful for that because if you are listening to this significantly far in the future, you hopefully are in a much, uh, I don't know, more promising reality than we're in right now. But it is, let me see, what day is it? It is June 14th, 2020. And I wish I could release this conversation at a time when some of the topics of our conversation, which surround a lynching in Duluth, Minnesota in 1920, when when that felt far away and when that felt like history. But the fact is, is that it doesn't because it isn't. And we are seeing the very same sorts of things happen today without any repercussions. So I, I remain hopeful by way of just knowing that there are things that we can do, especially white people, to do better. And like, it's really, it's really not that fucking hard to just not kill people. Um, and to not hate people and to care for others when you see an opportunity and to stand up for others when you see other people not doing the right thing. You know, I think we all sort of, I say we all, the collective we, but a lot of us grew up with the idea of just not being racist. And it is important that everybody start to understand what it means to be anti-racist and to participate in that as a part of your life. And that is not something that you do one day and then you've done it. It's an ongoing thing. And do that because it's like, I shouldn't have to give a reason. So just do it. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jordan and I'm really grateful for his work. You will hear us refer to an event which because of the pandemic has been canceled. I think that it is a really important conversation to talk to organizers and activists about the weight of their work and what they do all day because they're, you know, what they're doing is 98% meetings and emails and conversations and listening and making their points and that sort of work. And then it's 2% protests, which is what everybody sees. A little bit about Jordan. He is Blackbird Revolt's co-founder and visionary director. Blackbird Revolt focuses on representing efforts through strong messaging that increase awareness, funding opportunities, and positive impact. They offer a wide variety of services, including branding, visioning, workshops, presentations, speaking engagements, exhibitions. Their work is amazing. He and Terry are both on this podcast. Terry, as you will learn, is his wife and business partner. They're both incredibly terrific, and I am so grateful that I got to meet them and have this conversation with each of them, respectively. So Jordan's episode is this one, and then the next episode will be with Terry. Blackbird Revolt is incredible, and I really appreciate their work. You'll hear us talk quite a bit about CJMM. CJMM stands for Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial. Their mission is to foster racial justice and promote healing and reconciliation in their community. 
A little bit of background, CJMM came to be in June of 2000. It was a culmination of years of individual people keeping the stories of what happened to Isaac McGee, Elmer Jackson, and Elias Clayton alive in their way. If you're interested, there's a book called The Lynchings in Duluth, which you can read to learn more about the lynching that happened in Duluth. That's really where the root of this organization is, is because of this horrible event that took place. And if you have thought to yourself, self, I have never heard of a lynching in Duluth, that is the problem. A lot of people hadn't. And so CJMM is bringing that to light. What happened is that in June of 1920, June 15th to be exact, three black men who were wrongly accused of raping a white woman were abducted from the Duluth, Minnesota city jail. A mob numbering between five and 10,000 people beat and tortured these three young men and hung them from a lamppost in the middle of Duluth's downtown. It's obviously very, it's horrifying. And Duluth, Minnesota is the first city in America to ever create a memorial to commemorate the lives of people who were killed by lynching. And it was widely agreed that this particular lynching was the most heinous lynching of 1920. I would be hopeful that when people saw that happen, they just would learn from it and not do it again. But as the last hundred years have shown us, clearly there was not a lesson learned. And I really, I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot more to say than that. I really encourage that you read the book. If you look up The Lynchings in Duluth by Michael Fedo, I think is how you pronounce his name, F-E-D-O, you can purchase it, see if your library has it. As Jordan and I discuss, it is a heavy read and um, it's also a reality. And it's a reality of now, as seen in recent weeks. And really there's, in all truth, been no ceasing of lynchings between 1920 and now. Maybe some lulls, but they haven't stopped. There is also a book written by one of the descendants of the, one of the lynchers called The Lyncher and Me. And if you're interested in that, I encourage you to pick that up. I will have links to both of those books in the description of this episode. CJMM is one of Jordan and Terry's clients through Blackbird Revolt, and so that is why we are discussing it. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to ClaytonJacksonMcGee.org, and there's a lot to be learned. So their focus as an ongoing work is really about bringing attention to these racial injustices and how our country, which has been built on a lot of bloodshed and a lot of injustices, um, how we can heal and reconcile and find a way to move forward and have this not be a part of our DNA as a country. So I hope that you get a lot from this episode. And I suppose at the top of this, I should have put a content warning. I didn't. And yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I'll go back and record it. We'll see. But I think that this part of the episode is probably the heaviest part. Purposely, Jordan and I do not get into the details of the lynching. I think it's pretty straightforward. There's no non-horrifying lynching. It's all absolutely repulsive. And it is, um, it's, yeah, very telling of the lack of humanity in a lot of humans. And it does make me wonder what humanity even means when we talk about it because that is a reality of humanity, is that people across the world 
have done horrible things like this for thousands of years and we're still doing it. I don't know how that uh, has stayed with us through evolution and um, hopefully, well, I mean, hopefully we just keep putting in work to make that not a part of just what people do. Yeah, I'm sorry for not having better words. Anyways, please do look up Blackbird Revolt online. Feel free to refer them to nonprofits that you think would be a good fit or for profits. Either way, their work is incredible and I really appreciate their time. Anyways, I hope you get a lot from this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe, rate, review, and share this. Share it with people who may not understand what activism is and what organizers do share it with people who may be confused about quote-unquote how we got here as a country um and anyone who calls this an unprecedented time please just feel free to send it to them all right for real this time here's the episode thanks for listening Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am super excited to be in Duluth, Minnesota today with Jordan Moses. Hi, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so Jordan and I are connected also, and if you're listening to this episode, um, I'm not sure what order I'm going to release these in. So this is a series where I'm talking to organizers behind CJM, which is the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial. So I guess it's CJMM. Yes. My mistake. Double M's. It's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you say CJM earlier, or one of you two did. And so I was like, wait, have I been adding an extra M for no reason? You know, we say CJM, CJMM, CJMM Inc., Clayton Jackson, Clayton Jackson McGee. I mean, you know, we need to come up with our own short form. Right. Indeed. Uh, yeah, so I'm talking to the folks who are involved in organizing around a commemoration event that is happening in June of 2020. And do you do the commemoration event every year? Um, we do a day of remembrance each year. Okay. Um, usually it's not as involved as what we're doing this year. Right. Um, but yeah, every year we usually mark it on, on the Friday closest to June 15. And we usually do it over the lunch hour and just get folks to the memorial, share some, some words, some thoughts, mm-hmm. music, poetry, art. Um, so that we can continue to keep that, that that history alive. And that's been happening for about 20 years. Yeah. Okay. And just so you know, because obviously we're recording right now, so you don't know what the intro of this episode is. But in the intro, I'll explain what it's about so that nice. we don't have to. There we go. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you are also the visionary director of Blackbird Revolt, mm-hmm. uh, where you do sort of, I guess, as a general word, like branding yeah. and strategy. And I loved actually that when you were explaining Blackbird to me that you talked about sort of the mission of looking at the future and talk and like the value and priority there being how do we shape businesses and the work based on like the ne- the future that we want to see also, mm-hmm. like the five to 10 year future that yeah. is desirable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so before we jump in to your role for CJMM. Can you talk a little bit more about your work at Blackbird? Sure, yeah. So um, really it it started with this idea um, about using art and design to continue to educate folks. Art and design are things that, that, you know, Terry and I are are passionate about. And, you know, we were doing some work 
in terms of apparel and print design and those types of things and I was doing some organizing around art and exhibitions and trying to support uh, local artists especially local artists of color and helping to build that network and so it was kind of uh, you know <laughs> a marriage of our ideas right um, and so we we wanted to come up with this idea this name that would allow us to do the work that we wanted to do and also be malleable and change right mm -hmm. um, it's why like graphic design or design isn't in our name um, yes usually that's helpful especially with like SEO and all that kind of stuff but who knows in 10 years what if we don't need to be designers what if we're just designing for our own edification for our own healing and then mm -hmm. we play another role and which so, is also still a form of a design exactly yeah and so we we basically came up with this name it's it's kind of a play on uh, nina simone's blackbird the song um about being caged and really so it's blackbird revolt right about breaking free Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, my role there is really, I do a lot of the, the technical aspects of making sure we continue to function. So I do the quarterly sales taxes, client acquisition, um, you know, wrote a lot of the texts or uh, com coming up with a lot of the templates for like contracts and things like that, um, figuring out how to, uh, as equitably as we can, work with clients um, especially since our clients are mostly nonprofits, work with clients in an equi equitable way so that they can actually afford to pay us and then we can afford to, to pay what we need to pay off of what we're making, but also not to ever gouge or do something that, that isn't right, doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. um, and then also gauge um, you know, what possibilities are out there in kind of shaping our roadmap, our vision. So that's what a lot of my work uh, revolves around. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of work. Indeed. It's like a lot of thinking. Yeah, and I yeah. admire you for doing the <laughs> quarterly stuff because that is like, mm, just <laughs> I can't even say not my favorite, but for sure my least favorite. Like admin skills in that department are not. It's my not fun. Suit. No, it's not. I don't like it. I just I'm very. I like to be organized and. You know, I'm very good at setting the calendar and making sure stuff stuff gets done. And I wouldn't say I'm like a math genius or anything, but I mean, I mean taxes are pretty basic. Yeah, exactly. Who needs it's to be like, a math genius yeah, when you have Excel? It, there you go. Computers. Yeah. <laughs> Software. Why burden yeah. yourself? Good, because there's more, better things you, we could all be doing with our time. That's very true. Than learning how to just be human Excels. Oh, but we all should Excel. <laughs> so within that, mm -hmm. Uh, you do work with a lot of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. That is, um, I don't know, that's like interesting as a visionary director, like what are some of the, the ways that you're looking at the future for your clients and keeping their, their own future in mind yeah. and like what that sort of by design means? For sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of the pieces that we do, especially in the branding aspect, you know, nonprofits, especially smaller or medium-sized nonprofits, usually have pretty terrible branding. Mm -hmm. They usually have pretty pretty bad websites, pretty bad logos, which, you know, it matters, right? Yes. In in a world in which so many things are intentional and so many things are based on the visual um, and based on interaction, if you um, don't have a site that works as well or looks as nice as you know Nike site or mm -hmm. Target site or whatever. Um, folks aren't going to want to use it. If you don't have a mobile site or an app or something like that, folks aren't going to want to use it. You're going to make it, if it's more difficult for you to engage, 
um, you know, you're going to have less folks coming. And so that's one of the pieces of helping to actually think to the future, right? Yeah. If you have a design um, that's good, that design typically will last a little bit longer. Yes. One. Two, you will have more folks that are able to navigate your outreach and mm -hmm. navigate your language and your message. So you're going to get to the folks that you want to get to quicker. Yeah. And so you're going to be able to build those relationships with the folks that you want to build those relationships with. Mm -hmm. If your message is convoluted um, and, you know, let's say you you are an organization working with a specific group, if that specific group doesn't even know that you exist or that you're working with them or this is the type of things that you're doing, mm -hmm. you get all sorts of inquiries or folks don't know about you and then you have to sift through that, which takes up time and energy and capacity, right? Someone has to explain, well, we don't actually do that, right? We don't offer legal services. Well, it's said that you work with folks after they are, you know, you work with folks that have been convicted of this. Well, yes, but we're not, right? So, um, right. you know, Honing in on that message and helping folks find their vision and find their values uh, is one way that we help them uh, think about their future, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It also, in addition to everything you listed, it also, having solid branding and a clear message helps build trust mm -hmm. because otherwise, I know that, like, at least for me, when I'm looking at a nonprofit that either someone's asked me to donate to or be involved with whatever, like help out in mm -hmm, some way, mm -hmm. if their website's not good, I'm kind of like, and, and I, I tend to err on the side of like skepticism for a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of nonprofits, mm -hmm. for specific ones that are sort of addressing issues that I'm like, are we really getting at the root of the problem here? Yeah, like I, yep. the example I often use is uh, like my dad has been involved in a lot of he, he helps in like financial advisement for nonprofits mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and like helping them be more effective with their finances. Um, and I've seen so many nonprofits dedicated to like something that we can all agree on, which is like the ocean should be clean. Mm -hmm, Not mm -hmm. even a divisive, well, right now yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's suddenly a divisive <laughs> oh, well. thing, which I'm like, that is fascinating. That's the, that's the hill you want to die on is like climate change doesn't exist uh -huh. so we should like run the, the environment into the ground. Like that's, is that what I'm gathering from this yeah, conversation? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> But like, there's so many that exist that are mm -hmm. just about like cleaning up and are like dress addressing the issue of like mm -hmm. why is there so much waste? Yeah. And then also so many that exist that I'm like, you know, if you all like work together and shared resources, you could be so much more impactful. Mm -hmm. But because so many nonprofits are tied up a lot of times in the ego of a founder mm -hmm. versus on their bottom impact, yeah, it's yeah. um, it is something that I'm skeptical if a website's not good. I'm like, well, then how organized is your back end? Yeah, like, how yeah. organized are you at, like, reaching the final, like, end user? Yes. It, because a nonprofit is yep. still a business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's what a lot of folks don't understand, it, right? It's this corporation. It's just, you know, it's... Not for profit. Yeah, exactly. That's literally... You know, they're, yeah, it's classified different, but essentially the same things that plague businesses are the same things that plague nonprofits. Yeah. Um, there, there are things that are embedded in business that are inherently problematic, and the same is true of nonprofit, right? I worked in nonprofits for a, a, a while and, you know, was also on a number of nonprofit boards, and I saw the same issues there as in business, as in higher ed, as in government, and so... You know, that's one thing that, that folks don't understand, and, and that's why, you know, <clears throat> what, what we do is very, I wouldn't say it's very foreign to the nonprofit realm, mm -hmm. um, but it is here in Duluth, Minnesota, you know, right. saying, well, we do graphics, well, why would we need that? You know, we do this work. And it's like, well, folks don't know you do this work. Folks don't trust you because your website's weird. Folks don't donate on your website because it yeah. takes seven clicks to get to it. Um, you know, they can't read it because you've got, like, 
Christmas green on Christmas red, and it's like hurting everyone's Ooh, eyes. Ouch! Just like these are, you know. I mean, Christmas. You had me at Christmas green. No good. No one wants to see that on a screen. <laughs> you know. So. So then, when you say we, so can you explain for listeners like the the structure? So you. Yeah. So I'm visionary director. Okay. Terry is a creative director, and her job primarily consists of the 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 art creativity portion of it Mm -hmm. Um, and so she does obviously the majority of the branding work the design work I mean she's a professional graphic designer she teaches graphic design that's her thing that's you know that's what she's an expert at yeah and so she carries that that portion of it Um, and so we it's a good sort of one-two punch we work together really well to make sure that you know the message is right, the vision is right, how we're working with the clients is right, who we're working with, right? There's folks that we've said no to or, you know, because our vision matters, our mission matters, right? It's not just about the money, about the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to art, creativity, exhibitions, you know, she plays a, a larger role there because we're talking about, you know, the, the creation of art or, or the sort of um, uplifting of art and design. And so um, she carries more of that role um, she gets to do what, what I call the sexy stuff. You know, we, yeah. do, we do projects and folks are like, wow, Terry, this is great. And then I stand in the background a little salty, <laughs> you know, because it was our team effort. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, she does great work. And she, I mean, there's, her amazing stuff is in a lot of places that folks don't even know. They just right. see it and they're like, wow, what a cool poster. And I'm like, <laughs> and my wife did that. <laughs> and then people are like, sure, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who are you? Well, and so then that does bring me to the, the, the next point is that you two are also married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so that you have this business together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, we can get to that after we talk about your work as an organizer at CJMM. Sure. Because Whatever then I can talk to you, you about yeah. how you maintain a marriage and a company together. Yeah. Because that's neither of those things. I've had, obviously, I mean, I'm single, so clearly I've had relationships that don't work out. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely had, like, uh, creative partnerships even or business Mm, partnerships mm -hmm. that uh, luckily nothing has gone, like, so south that, Mm. like, bridges were burned. Mm -hmm. But certainly ones that were like, okay, well, this just isn't working for For one or both of us anymore. Um, So as an organizer, well, first of all, how did you get involved with Clayton Jackson? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've technically been involved for maybe about eight years now. So I was in college at UMD, and I was what, taking what's this. That? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I forget <laughs> acronyms. Uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Okay, so the, thank you. The kind of the biggest college here in, okay. in Duluth, and I studied sociology, and I had a focus on like race, crime, justice, because passionate about that and so I was in this class that actually was called race crime justice Uh and uh, one of my old uh, professors my old mentor who passed away a couple years ago Mm. he was talking about some of the realities of the the criminal justice system arrest rates prisons jails Mm -hmm. etc and um, he was also talking about you know we talked a lot about the the history and legacy of supreme court cases and how yeah you know, the Supreme Court has handed down so many uh, problematic, uh, essentially, verdicts or rulings, right, that have exacerbated issues with prison and policing and these types of things. And yeah. so, um, you know, he was connecting that with the history, and he talked about the lynchings in Duluth. And I think I was maybe 19 at the time, 20 at the time, and I, I didn't really know about it because, you know, they don't, nobody tells you. Right. Um, especially if you're from out of town. Um, and so he said, well, has anyone heard of it? No one had heard of it. So he said, is anyone willing to read the book 
overnight and come back and report to class. I don't like reading. I'm not a reader. I've maybe finished cover to cover maybe 10 books in my life. Really? And that includes children's books. You had me doped. You have a huge book right in front <laughs> yeah, of you. I'm, yeah, and I have not read that. I read the speeches, you know, one by one, um, or excerpts from, from those MLK speeches, but I'm, I've read maybe 10 books cover to cover. Okay. And that, that's like Green Eggs and Ham till you know, the Three Hunger Games books. Like, that's... I, I, it's hard for me. Reading is difficult for me. I like that so. you went from age four <laughs> to like young adult. <laughs> Pretty much. I think there was that actual okay. literal gap. That's fine. And so I said, I'll do it. Um, and so I went to the library. I got the book and I read it. It's a quick, quick read. The yeah. Lynchings in Duluth, Michael Fido. I mean, it's a quick read, but yeah. I will say that yeah. like... I took many breaks because it, it gets yeah. very... Yeah. If you have a soul, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, it's a quick read, but it's also This should difficult. be the new test for sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. Is if uh, you can make it through that book... Without stopping. ...in one sitting. Something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong. We're not letting yeah, it's you have very, a gun. <laughs> it's very... Yeah, exactly. It's very uh, disturbing. I mean, if you, if you actually see, you know, these stories as, as history, as real people, it's, it's very hard to digest. Which the author did a good job yeah. of setting, like, where it is not just laid out as, like, the facts of mm -hmm. what happened. He mm -hmm. really sets the tone for, like, the climate, yep. the humans yep. involved, yep. people, like, and so I think because of that, it, it read much like a movie. Yeah. Uh, which also I can't watch movies. Like I yeah, have to, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you play video games, but yeah, I played so The Last of Us. Oh, that's great. And I had to like, <laughs> I had to like go on walks in between. Like I would be like, I could only do like 20 minute chunks yeah, yeah. in some part of that game and have to like go on a walk and be like, yeah. Okay. Don't have a heart attack. Like, well, like yeah, this is not fair. the way you want to go out. I had to stop playing it at night. I was like, I yeah, no, no, I, no. Don't do it at night. Yeah, it's it like it's a day. morning. Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bad kind of cardio. So yeah. So you that is. Yeah, I mean that's a heavy read for one yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. So I read it in one night. I went, uh, I went back to class, and I, I basically said, here, here's the story. Here's what I read. And you know, I said, wow, I, I did not know about this history. I didn't know that it was such a pivotal piece in Duluth's history. And you know, I don't intend to necessarily stay in Duluth, but at the time, I said, you know, I, I've got to, I've got to do something about this, right? If my class of all these people didn't know, and they're here for race, crime, and justice, they didn't know, you know, 30, right? That 30 should be people. like the most yeah, aware. We, we should, we should, we should know this, right? And we yeah. should know this coming in and understand what this means. Um, and so I, I reached out um, to some a student that I knew who was on the board previously. They had like a student position, and I talked to him about it. And then I applied for the board just as a regular director. And, you know, I got on the board and I was on the board for about a year and a half Then I got really sick. My mental health was not great. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up, ended up leaving. I was co-chair at the time for about maybe five months and I ended up leaving. Um, and so, but I still was present going to the, the day of remembrance every year, going to the fundraising dinners. Um, we did some work, maybe it was almost three years ago now, two years ago, three years ago, um, with them, they did a, you know, the organization did an oral history project. We designed it, right? We designed mm. these panels um, and worked with our friend who's a photographer to take pictures of these elders. We summarized some of their stories, um, designed these panels to help highlight some of this history and then invited the elders to come to this thing so they could have dialogue. Because obviously their, their transcripts and their stories are much more than what we can put on one panel. So we wanted people to engage. It's a cool project and we hope to expand it. And so, you know, did that, and then it was, I'm forgetting my years, 2018, it was maybe spring, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about this commemoration, and I was working full-time at, at the College of St. Scholastica here, 
And, you know, I had approached the board and just sort of was asking some questions about what, you know, what do we think is going to happen this year? Yeah. And the intention for years has always been to do, do it bigger and mm-hmm. do, do something we've never done before. And yeah. And really honor these men for the 100 years. We've been talking yeah. about it for 10 years. And, um, you know, but it's a small nonprofit. It's nine volunteer board members. Mm. And it was, I think, seven or eight at the time. Um, and so, you know, they said, well, we don't really have the capacity to do anything big, but we want to, you know, we still want to try to do something. And so I had found this fellowship from the Bush Foundation, which is, you know, huge foundation in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. And they do Wait, a like, lot of... Like the Bush? Uh, no, a oh. different... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Di- My shock, yeah. I was like... Dif- different bushes. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, we found a fellowship there, and I approached the treasurer and other members of the board, and I said, you know, what about this? Yeah. I said, it's money. It's a three-year sort of cohort thing. I'll oh, act cool. as the cohort, or whoever's in this position would act as a cohort member um, that would travel down to these, this cohort that's in the Twin Cities. You know, every year they have a cohort, and you come together, and you do, like, workshops or conversations or whatever mm-hmm. and so they say oh well you can apply for it that's fine on our behalf so i said okay so i talked to them i applied for this fellowship um and we went through this process with certain board members to um you know have this conversation i think in the meantime i think terry had joined the board because um, we actually both applied to be on the board to see if we could get in the open positions but then at the time they only had one i said i had my chance you be on the board so she joined the board and immediately, you know, her mind's like, we got to rebrand this stuff. Because yeah. their, their old stuff was not easily accessible. It wasn't easy to navigate. And so um, she rebranded the organization, new logo, new branding, new website. Um, and then, um, I should say we. I think the sketch for the new logo actually came from my sketch pad. Um, and it was really, really cool. It was really awesome because we knew we were going to have to you know, be more accessible and more engaging and have better design and branding to get people connected. So we did that. And then we got this, this, um, this fellowship. And so, you know, part of the money, you know, I sort of said with this money, here's what you should do. Use it for seed money to get started with this 100 year commemoration, and then use the rest of the money to hire an organizer to organize for this thing. And they, you know, they said, okay, well, help us make a job description. So we all made a job description, whatever. And then I, I, I didn't really think about applying in that way at first because I was like, I, that's a lot. I, there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's a full-time job, but it's not like paid full-time. It's stipend and it's mm. essentially, you know, poverty wage stipend. And so, um, you know, I said, uh, so it took a little bit to think about it, but then I was thinking, you know, I've walked us through this process this far, secured the help, secure this fellowship, um, help craft this vision. I've been on the board before. I'm passionate about this history. And, you know, asking somebody to do this is asking them to give up two years of their life to make this the priority for two years of their life to make it happen. Um, And I said, I don't really think that's fair. So to ask anybody else to do that. So I applied and, you know, they picked me and then we started working in the summer of 2018. Well, and ultimately also time and re- like resources basically were also spared by you doing that because with a new person like that's a lot of adjustment mm-hmm. time period yeah and so 
because you're already passionate about it, familiar with the subject, know the personalities, mm-hmm. you know Duluth. Like those factors all also culminate to make you like an excellent fit for the job. Yeah. Where whereas and and how heartbreaking would it be for you and the rest of the board too if somebody else came on and didn't have the same level of passion or rigor to it that um that somebody who already just that was there it's sort of like inherent has yeah that's true so it, that's like perfect i mean for the cause yeah yeah it like probably puts you in terms of your career and like mm-hmm. your own personal life in like a tricky position potentially because also like you said it it's not it's yeah not like a great amount of money mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And and that's like a you know two years of your life too. Mm-hmm. It's not you're still mm-hmm. a person dedicating two years of their life. But I like how you talk about like it's not fair to this other <laughs> this other person. It's fair to me though. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think it's fair to me either. But, <laughs> okay, good. You know, I'm glad you. I I have my own beliefs about what what my role. But in, you'll feel in good about it. Yeah, and, and you at least know that about yourself versus we don't know that about. Yeah, I know that I always like I'm hopeful. But I do always hope, like, oh, I hope someone doesn't look back on their time spent on this project and, mm-hmm. like, see it as not fulfilling or, yeah. like, not see the impact of it or yeah. whatever. And I knew going in, one, being on the board, and two, being someone who was always talking about issues of, of race ever since I was, you know, in my teens, um, you know, I knew that it was not only going to be a hard job logistically, um, yeah. you know, thinking about all the things that would go into just having the events and getting people to the events and, you know, promoting the events and all those, those logistics. I knew that mentally, emotionally, socially, that it would be difficult. It, yeah. is, it is hard to talk about race regularly. Yeah, know, period. On a consistent basis. Yeah. It is hard to talk about race every single day. It is hard to, to talk about a lynching, even if you're just talking about the facts every single day. Um, and, you know, every single day for a year and a half, other than when I was on a boat in the ocean uh, for, you know, the six or seven days recently, every single day I have talked about this lynching with sponsors, with partners, with community members, with, you know, the city of Duluth, with, you know, with representatives of the police department, with whoever um, has some sort of role, responsibility, or stake. And so I knew going in that it wasn't going to be easy and that I wouldn't walk away from this no matter what. Um, and I'm not saying other folks would, I'm just saying it's a really tough thing to walk into and to also like not be making money, not have benefits, not have, you know, because yeah. essentially if someone had a job, they'd have to quit their job. Right. And if someone, you know, didn't have a job and they're already struggling, it's asking them to carry this needed, this extra burden. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, there were so many layers. Um, and that's, that's one thing that folks don't see. I don't think, you know, I not to say folks aren't empathetic, but, you know, a lot of folks don't quite understand what that means for me. In no, my of course not. Yeah, yeah. Like, so because I don't think it's something that people don't think about it because people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to talk about something that you've never heard someone talk about before because we don't have the language for it, right? Like, we can only, like, life happens and we, then we develop language to describe that life. Mm-hmm. We can't develop language for things that we don't see, so or like that we're not experiencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that becomes really difficult. And I think, luckily, in some ways, the internet is great at helping us find that language and finding communities who can be supportive. Mm-hmm. 
On the flip side, I imagine in addition to everything that you have going on, you probably are also responsible for like community management and stuff like that on socials where you also probably get not the the fuzziest and warmest of comments and messages and responses, yeah. et cetera, yeah. in a space where people also feel free to just not be human at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is tough, you know. And and especially since you don't you don't go looking for that stuff so that you can punish yourself while reading it but <laughs> right. you know naturally you see some of it and then some of it you need to know about so that you are aware of how you have to respond because yeah. you know unfortunately it is it is my responsibility to plan for the worst to plan yeah. for counter protesters to plan for you know op-eds to plan for things that come out or folks uh you know things that folks will say um, things that folks will do so that we can have the events that we need to have and create mm -hmm. the space that we need to have and, and so that we're prepared um, to to engage the community in the way that we need to. So Yeah. W one thing that I, uh, Heidi and I spoke about, who I talked to just before, I'm not telling you, I'm telling listeners, just so you know. <laughs> in case you forgot my daily schedule <laughs> huh? already, um, <laughs> was that with her both being white and being a substitute teacher, she has like a front row seat because kids are also not filtered, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she has like a front row seat to any sort of like of the responses from the community because kids are showing up at school just saying whatever they mm -hmm, hear at home mm -hmm, and whatever that mm -hmm. like that she also is then able to not because I think sometimes when you're involved in the nonprofit sector or in activism, you can live in a sort of bubble. Mm -hmm where it's like oh these separate shitty people on the internet right and yeah. i think it's easy for us to pretend like those and it, and because duluth is small you're like oh but these people are also people that i'm seeing at grocery stores mm -hmm. and like these people have kids that go to school and like where's the disconnect where like they're not seeing the human mm -hmm. in not only me for talking to me that way because i'm still a person but also in like that 1920 is not that different from 2020 mm -hmm. and like that's not why yeah. that's why it still needs to be talked about yeah like mm -hmm. we're not 100%. dealing yeah so it's just it's it's interesting and so i think that's just like a lot that you're sort of in a 300 and not even 360 degree like spherical way exposed to and dealing with at all times yeah yeah it's it's not great it's not fun but you know i try to keep <clears throat> keep focused on what we're doing you know because yeah. You know, it wasn't fun for, for Elias Clay, Nelmer Jackson, and Isaac McGee either, right? No. Like, these, these men faced a horrific fate. Um, yes. They weren't just murdered. They didn't just die. We're talking about a lynching. and We're talking about 10,000 people. We're talking about 10% of this community, of this city at the time, coming out to per perpetrate a lynching and, or to watch three black men be murdered for the sake that they were, they were black. Right. Um, you know, it didn't matter the crime, right? We, the, this legacy and this culture of lynching, these thousands and thousands of people that were lynched, um, it, it's it's about control. It's about fear. Yeah. It's a, it's a tactic that's, that's used, and, and folks knew what they were doing. They knew that this wasn't about justice. No. That this wasn't about doing what was right or 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 finding the facts or listening to 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 the truth of this this event and this situation it was about hey we have a we have a justifiable reason to right. murder three black men like that is what i continue to think about and to to you know on any article in our local news about 
MLK Day or civil rights or a case of racism in the school district or whatever it is, right? Protesters. You see so many lynching parallels, you know, well, just yeah. take them out and hang them, you know, oh, just, you know, run over those, those protests, the dehumanization of folks of color is as vivid as it was then. Yeah. Um, it just manifests different. Totally. Right? And the culture, the culture manifests different and the systems manifest different, right? You know, mobs of 10,000 people don't, don't come out to, to lynch black folks anymore because there's some legislation around that. But there's different ways, right? The police now have more power than they did in 1920, mm -hmm. right? They are, they are the sort of one-stop shop for folks to call and control communities. Right. And, and so, it, you know, in 1920, that wasn't, that wasn't the case, right? Or 1850 or whatever year. Um, but now that sort of is the case. And, you know, this, this, this movie and this book, Just Mercy, right, about mm -hmm. Brian Stevenson's uh, story of working with folks on death row in, in Alabama, there are so many parallels, right? Reading the book or listening. I listened to the audio book. Uh, listening to the book. <laughs> Don't go too then, wild. You're reading then, two books yeah, in a decade, exactly. Jordan. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then, you know, watching the film, there are so many parallels yeah. um, to, to the lynchings in Duluth and to just lynchings in general about how control and fear and lies and fallacy are used to harm black people and black bodies and control entire entire folks right because it yeah. wasn't what happened to walter mcmillan and what happened to those three men you know in duluth minnesota it wasn't just about those three men black folks then have to they're they're scared into staying in these boxes to staying mm -hmm. in line or to leaving right and right. you saw the same you know you saw the same thing in walter mcmillan's case you had black folks who knew some truth but were afraid to tell it because look what happened to walter yeah. an innocent man right but look what they can do when there's no evidence, right? You're completely innocent. You were nowhere near the crime. You've got a dozen black folks saying, no, he was with us. Look at what they can still do to you. The same was true, yeah. you know, with, with the lynchings in Duluth. So, you know, I keep my eyes focused on that and that reality and that truth because, you know, we need to continue to, to change. You know? Yeah. Since you brought up Brian Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, so... This is a long trajectory, two years of planning an event. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Because that is like a, yeah, I don't yeah. even plan like three months. I know, that's, <laughs> people think I plan in advance. They're like, you're so organized. And, you're, and I'm like, no, I have like the next eight weeks of my life yeah. figured out. Do you think for a second <laughs> I know like where I'll be living or what uh -huh. I'll be doing with my life? In a year or two? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, it was... <laughs> I it, can't imagine. It was something. You know, it's it's something that, that, you know, we thought about. So two years ago, essentially, one of the first things I did is we, we put out a call for committee members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we basically said yes to most folks um, and brought them together. But before bringing them together, we sent out a questionnaire mm -hmm. to kind of help them kind of filter and hone in on the things we'll be talking about. And so we asked about their needs and their wants. What do they want to see? What types of events? If they're thinking about speakers, like keynote speakers, you know, what are some of the names? And, you know, I had listened to Brian Stevenson's book once before mm -hmm. um, that meeting. And then I think a number of folks on our committee had read it. And so he was one of the names that had popped up. And was this prior to knowing that the film was in the making? Yes. Okay. Um, and so as I started looking for his agent... 
Um, I'm big into film. I love film, love mm, television. Mm-hmm. So I'll like follow IMDb and stuff. You know, when something's yeah. in pre-production, they list it. Definitely. So when I was uh, just doing my research on Brian and, you know, finding out who the agent was and who to contact, mm-hmm. I had found out that there was this movie coming out. And I said, whoa, we might be able to get this guy to speak. And this movie's coming out in 2020. Yeah. It seems... That's perfect. Yeah. It, like, it's, it, yeah. It seems, Strategically. Yeah. And it was just a few a months before decision. that, that the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and the Legacy Museum uh, down yeah. in Montgomery, which mm-hmm. EJ oversees, you know, those opened up. We had members of our community go down. So it's like folks knew who Brian Stevenson was. Right. They knew who EJI, they knew what EJI was and the work that they do. So it's like, we already have some energy around this. Yeah. This is a natural fit. And he's a great speaker, and he, he does great work, and he talks about these issues in a way that I feel like if you can't connect to what Brian Stevenson's saying, when he's talking about humanity, when he's talking about justice, when he talks about what kind of people we want to be, again, yeah, something something's up. Yeah, maybe right? you should go to therapy. Yeah, yeah, something is up. <laughs> and so, you know, it felt right until we reached out to the agents and said, hey, you know, we we, we need this guy. This is, it, it. no one would make more sense than him. And, you know... They said, well, you know, it's 2020, there's a lot of stuff coming up, there's a movie. I'm like, yeah, I know about the movie. You know, I said, well, so he's going to be... You admitted to that? I would have been like, oh, really? I would have played. I would have been like, oh, no, that rate won't work. What movie? We don't know. Yeah, who who knows? We don't have (laughs) movies here. Um, So, you know, basically said, we need this guy, you know. And they said, here's his price, and it was (laughs) astronomical. I'm sure. Um... And I said, well, whatever, we'll raise the money. So I said, you know, let's do it. Send, send him the, you know, well, I initially reached out and they said, well, we'll get back to you. So I sent a follow-up. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. And I, I sent the email. I was like, it's a 100-year commemoration, this, this, this. I said, there, there is no one else. So they said, okay, we'll send this to him. So they sent it to him. He said yes. And so then we oh, got I'm the so contract signed, whatever. I'm the end of your email. <laughs> <laughs> we, got the, we got the contract signed, whatever. And we decided, you know, he does great work and he helps build a lot of energy. So we wanted to intertwine his message and his work and what he does with this history so that it helps connect, right, this past, this history to the contemporary messages. Yeah. And so, you know, we knew in January we were going to do this film, which was supposed to happen Saturday, but, you know, rescheduled. Weather. Yes. What can you do? You know. Safety measures Um, must be taken. So, you know, we, we want to have an event each month. And so essentially building this six-month-long curriculum mm-hmm. that would incorporate his movie, the book, these messages, the history of, of um, the lynchings in Duluth, those themes. And so we have all these different events in all these different venues and locations across Duluth from January to June with multiple events in June leading up to June 15 where he is going to speak at the intersection of the memorial. And the goal is to get 10,000 people there. Um, in the streets to listen to him, to listen to other artists and speakers and poets so that they can uh, help share this message. Yeah. Which to, for listeners to like sort of connect there also, the the 10,000 number, at least from my perspective, is very important because that's as many people have showed up for the yeah. lynching. And it's, you know, I was reflecting last night on uh, my flight here about just... How unfortunate that we evolved as humans to be more driven by fear than like positive mm-hmm. motivation. Yeah. And like, imagine what a better world we'd live in if, like, instead of fear being like our flight or fl- fight response, being mm-hmm. like hope being mm-hmm. that fight or mm-hmm. flight response and going like, oh, I can see room to make the world better without something horrible happening. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, and it's it it is there are things like that that I think about that's really sometimes a little disheartening. Where in 1920 they had no cell phones, they had no internet, they had no social media, they had no mass media. And they got 10, yeah, it was people. one newspaper article um, that they wrote and published, and then guys driving around in their trucks, and they were able to get 10,000 people out in the streets. And it's like it's disgusting. A hundred years later, we have social media, we have television, we have you know, and we'll utilize all those sources, right? We have podcasts, we have all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. And it's going to be harder to get 10,000 now than it was then. Right. Um, well, and, for two reasons, right? One, we all feel like we can sit at home and be doing our part because yeah, we're online. Yeah. We're like, why would I, for what? I did yeah. my, I, re, I retweeted. Uh-huh. Yeah, I retweeted. I'm I read a book. I went to a movie. Yeah, yeah. I've been listening. <laughs> I followed DeRay. Aren't uh-huh. I doing the right yeah, thing? Exactly. You yeah. know that. And then also you have, I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's. You also just have the fact that people are more likely to get riled up and want to react mm-hmm. when there is that feeling of anger yeah, yeah. and fear yeah. because of ignorance yeah. than when you're going like, hey, here's a positive. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, selfishly, I also reflect on like, how unfortunate that like we wait until people's funerals to mm-hmm. like say all the positive things. And then at birthday parties, you'll be like, well, it's been a long day. I don't know if I can make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, that's real. And I think just, there's also this uh, yeah. disconnection to, to history, right? People yeah. don't see themselves in history. They don't understand why this history has anything to do. Well, it was 100 years ago. Not to mention a lot of the folks that say that knew people who were actually there, right? Their right. grandparents or great-grandparents or great-aunts, great-uncles, you know, uh, great-relatives there. Um, and, and still this, well, it was so long ago. What does it have to do with now? Well, you know. Those yeah. themes are still playing out and folks have trouble connecting. Like people think of history as just the facts. And yeah. it's never been. I mean, historians will tell you it's not about the facts. I mean, right? It's not just the facts. Also, if it was 100 years ago and like time is the factor there, then why do people get so riled up about getting rid of Columbus Day? Yeah. It, 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 yeah. But it, it was, I mean, there's so many things that are over 100 years old. I mean, the yeah, Constitution, the founding of the country. Yeah, the, You know, oh, like, 4th of July. I mean, come on. I was, I was telling Dan and Heidi earlier as I was reading the book, and I'm reading about, like, these men who are, like, just totally enraged over the idea of this girl being raped. And, like, not just being raped, but, like, being raped by six black mm-hmm. men. Which the doctor was even, like, like for listeners, just to reiterate, essentially a rape did not occur. And if so, it was certainly not by six people. And none of the people that were assumed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like... I know for sure that it was not a federal crime until 70 years later for, for men to rape their wives. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're very riled. Like, now's the time that people were like, we should listen to women this one time mm-hmm. and also be upset about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the numbers I mean, it just, there. It's, it's, like, it's sometimes wild. I'm like, interesting. Yeah. Where were you all the other times mm-hmm. that, like, actually matter? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's... it's, it's yeah, it, I mean, it, it's... The episode I just released, which will be old by the time this comes out, was with a friend who pressed charges against the mm. person that raped her mm-hmm. and just literally talking about her healing process and pressing charges. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. And the uphill battle yeah. that it took yeah. to just do that, which, P.S., uh, spoiler alert, he is not on a list because this happened in Montana mm. and her attorney was basically like, hey, a jury will not find him guilty and they settled for criminal endangerment. So mm. like he's not even on a you know, 
it's not called the watch list, but in my head yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> in, my, mean... in my head, that's what it's called. <laughs> that's what it's for, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's too, it's unfortunate that that's not like a no-fly list. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, so all of this is going on. You have this two-year trajectory. You mm-hmm. booked Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are like the other big moving pieces that you have going on? Like, what is your day to day? Like, how do you manage your tasks? Yeah. You know, a a lot of it is really just meetings, phone calls, um, submitting proposals or grants, um, Mm -hmm. those types of things. Um, and initially it wasn't, (laughs) grants weren't really my role, but again, it's one of those things that fell into my lap because things. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, one of the most frustrating things I think is that I don't, I haven't chosen my days in the last Mm. year and a half. Um, I'll have a day set out and Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, well, the news media has to talk to you or this federal judge has to talk to you or, oh, it's the attorney general of the state calling you about this issue. And, and so there are things that I can't, I can't. These don't sound like horrible problems to have. Well, they're they're very weird because <laughs> I didn't. Very, I, I'm I totally didn't, messing with you. You know, it's yeah, it's just like not what I had expected. It's like good. It's like you're like, oh, it sounds fancy. Yeah. However, it would be nice yes. to have some autonomy and yes. control over my day. And, and, Why don't you and, wait for and, me and to call you? And some sort of buffer where <laughs> yes. it's like, okay, you can talk to this person. Or, but right. s- since so much of this is is rested on my shoulders, um, you know it it requires me to have some of these conversations or do some of this outreach. So my days change. I'll have a day set out and then it'll change drastically. Yeah. Um, I try to prioritize the things that have due dates coming up, you know, totally. grants, proposals. Um, you know, we recently d- uh, f- uh, finished the pardon application for Max Mason, the man who was mm, convicted. Yeah. I'm sure Heidi talked about him. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was obviously a deadline, a, a due date because if we didn't get it in, he wasn't going to pardon. Right. Yeah. And so we, we uh, did that, you know, we've got some grants. So I try to prioritize that stuff, but a lot of a lot of it is me sitting at the computer and trying to do three or four projects at once, knowing Do you have ADD? I don't. Oh, you're no. so lucky. Thank goodness. <laughs> that would be because, horrible. Yeah, it is. I wouldn't Trust be able to, me. yeah, I wouldn't be able to don't do don't want it. to see yeah. my Firefox tabs. <laughs> I mean, I have about 30 of them open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so maybe there's something there, but I don't no, know. I think I'm we live in a world like, that makes us be yes, ADD. It's like, just, yes, if you don't it's already not, have it, yeah, you will. They force you to be, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, doing multiple projects at once, knowing that if I take my time and do them one at a time, three of them won't get done because someone's going to call, someone's going to email. Yeah. So, that's kind of what it looks like. It it looks like organized chaos in yes. a lot of ways. And, you know, sometimes I or our committee drop the ball, but usually it's smaller <laughs> things, you know, humans. some typos yeah. or whatever. We, we try not to focus too much on... Um, too much on those things and try to focus on the bigger vision, making sure we get the funding to do everything we want to do, right. making sure we connect with the people that we need to connect with, and then building the energy that we need to build going into June and beyond. Yeah. You know. Uh, what are some ways that you have gotten better at grant writing? Because that's a tough muscle to learn how to flex. Like, yeah. do you have any resources that you recommend? No. You know, one of the things I learned about grant writing in the nonprofit world is a lot of grant writers just called themselves grant writers, and they mm. were just people who wrote a bunch of grants. Isn't that the truth? It's like this thing where people claim they're an expert because they can, like, go and edit a document I and, mean, like, write... 
sir. I'm in marketing. This, I know the feeling. Yeah, All like, kinds of marketing expert. I'm like, that's who? Anyway, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and and it's it's one of those things where it actually is. Grants are really subjective. Yes. They grant a lot Wildly of grant so. experts and folks treat them as this this algorithm, this equation. Well, if you put this and you say this and you have no typos and you fit the word like if it's 1,200 characters and you have 1,199. That's the perfect. It no, no. that stuff. It, yeah. Every foundation is different. Well, every grant committee is different. Yeah, that. there's like, humans that are reading this and yeah. judging it, and they have know? their own priorities yeah. that may or may not yes. be verbalized. Yep. So, in fact, I'll check the episode I'm about to release is with Janina Jeff, who's a population geneticist, mm. and she's done some grant writing. Mm. Obviously, if you're in science, you're doing a lot of that. Yeah. And um, I think she said that she has a resource where she shares some of like the applications and grant writing. So oh, that's nice. something yeah. um, I have like a Google Drive folder that I share a lot of friends on just like decks that I've made mm -hmm. and then decks that other people have sent me to put in there. That way people can start off with like better deck templates yeah. or like yeah. ideas for an infrastructure for their own marketing plans or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and I wish more people shared that for grant writing. Yes. And I think... I think there are some. If I remember where I've heard other ones, I'll mm -hmm. send them to you. Because no, I that'd be great. Yeah, it never hurts to just like you know get a little bit of inspiration. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's the thing. It's just it's one of those things where it's like anything else. There, you know, there, every everything's going to be a little bit different. And relationships is just so big in grant writing. You yeah, know, having a relationship with the foundation, having mm -hmm. a relationship with the the grantor, the person in charge of it, um, having that person. I'm not saying you need to be buddy buddy with that with that person, right? But if that person knows your organization and they know what you're trying to do and they see that, um, they can work harder to say, "Oh no, this organization is legit." Whereas if yeah. you're applying to their fund for the first time and they don't even know who you are, especially in a city like Duluth that's so small, yeah. Um, you know, if they haven't heard of you or don't know what you do, yeah. I'm not saying that, that you don't do the work, but it can be difficult for grantors to then say, certainly, yeah. Of I mean, it comes also back to what we were talking about before about like branding, mm -hmm. right? And brand awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. Where also like who among us goes into the grocery store and like buys a brand we've never heard of? If yes. we know that we like yep. whatever brand it is, yeah. we stick with that. Yeah. Because it's like a sure thing at mm -hmm. the end of the day most people are just trying to like go home mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> like most people are not trying to work 100 14 hour days yeah. at their job to like do the best they can like we all have you know a life yes and priorities and we get tired and and that's true with grant writing too that it's you know a lot of grantors you know some will take risks but a lot of grantors will continue to fund ones that they know are strong consistent they yeah do, they do good work because it's i mean it's a you know it's yeah. a mutually beneficial relationship. Totally. Uh, do you have a mentor? I have a million mentors. Good. Um, yeah, I, ch I try. <laughs> I'm, glad. I'm a little bit of a misanthrope, so I kind of hate everyone. Yeah. Like, I just hate people, period. Yeah. Especially in your line of work. Yeah, it's just, it gets difficult. But what I, what I think I've learned to do is, you know, take something from every relationship yeah. and understand and learn something from every relationship, both good and bad that I have with folks. And so I have folks that have taught me a lot mm -hmm. about myself, a lot about this community, a lot about this work, a lot about how to heal or show up or engage. Mm -hmm. And so I learn a lot of that stuff from, from different folks. And some folks, I try to, to build relationships with folks that maybe aren't the best at, um, you know, other things, but might be really good in this area. Yeah. And so 
you know, valuing that person for what they bring to the, because I hope people do that with me, you know, I hope folks, you know, they recognize, yeah, Jordan maybe isn't so great at this, but he's got this going on. (laughs) So maybe, you know, because I think that's also, I think, you know, when when we talk about vision and we talk about creating this world that we want to create, it doesn't, there will never be a world free of conflict. We need to be able to have conflict. We need to be able to like embrace our flaws and embrace the flaws of other people and say, yeah, this this person ain't ready to babysit my kids, right? Or to right. speak on a microphone. But this person is it has this powerful piece. And yeah. here's how we can work together. And here's how we can grow together. That's yeah. what community is to me. That's what peace is to me. That's what justice is to me. Definitely. Is, is having that community where that exists. Where you not everyone has to be friends or even like each other. But seeing the, the humanity in other folks. And seeing the value in other folks. And so I try to take that into all my relationships. So I don't have a mentor. I'm like, this is the person. Yeah. But I... I I have folks in my life that teach me a lot. Which to me is, to your point also, by you doing it that way and taking, because I take a similar approach um, and I'm like a commitment phobe, so Mm, there's that. mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So they go hand in hand. (laughs) But that's also you seeing the humanity in people and Mm -hmm. going like, nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yes, I really respect this area of this person's life, but maybe in terms of like how someone handles their finances, I like go to this person for like how they do that. And maybe for personal relationships, I go to this other person for Mm -hmm. how they do that for different things. And I think that recognizing in the same way, I think it's important to recognize that um, people that do bad things are typically also not people who are waking up every day wanting to do bad things. Mm -hmm. They're just people um, that maybe have been nice to somebody at some point Mm -hmm. and still chose to do something bad. And like that is part of the complexity of humanity. Yes. And we're not, no one is better when we categorize people as good and bad. In yeah, fact, we're worse off. it doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't help. And it, it's inaccurate. Totally. <laughs> if there was someone that was 100% good, they probably wouldn't be that interesting They'd anyway. probably be very irritating, yeah. honestly. <laughs> I probably would not be their friend. I would be like, you're very boring. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and stand up for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, do you go to therapy? I don't. I don't anymore. I used to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've had a diagnosis of depression for 15 years now. Mm-hmm. I used to go to therapy, have a counselor, psychiatrist, you know, all, all the, the fancy stuff. Um, but it really became difficult in Duluth because a lot of the counselors, it is, it is so centered in Western, mm-hmm. Western approaches. This is, these are the things that must be bothering you. You tell this story, this I've identified for you. And I'm like, nah, it's not my family. My family's not the thing that I'm telling you right now. Yes. Racism, you know, all these other elements that have been absent until I came to this city, at least absent to, to this degree, right? Yeah. Um, well, no, let's talk more about your mom. Let's, and I, okay. Yeah, I well, mean, because sure, those are still but, the same yeah. mindsets that you're seeing that exactly. are the problem and so in I, the area. It, it, it felt... It felt they felt absent. It felt empty. Yeah. Um, because when I wanted to talk about the things that were really getting to me, which is like racism and cultural taxation and these microaggressions, and you know, especially when I used to be able to grow my hair and I had long hair and, you know, I, I, I wasn't as, as intentional with my words as I am now because, you know, I was just a kid developing, yeah. growing, learning about myself, identity, race, history. And so it just felt empty and I wasn't getting what I needed to get. So I was essentially spending money you know, on something that 
that was ultimately frustrating yeah. you more. Where yeah. you're like, in fact, this is not, this is making it worse. Yeah. And I shopped around, you know, I did, a lot of folks say, oh, well, therapy doesn't work or whatever. You know, folks are skeptical. But I invested in it and I shopped around and went to different therapists and psychiatrists and tried to find It's also just not helpful person. when I'm sure the majority of the therapist options here are white. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like 99.9, .9, there might be... Like there's a huge you know, shortage just on yeah. a national level of therapists that are people of color mm -hmm. that when you're somewhere that is 99% white, certainly, you know, you have one option and let's hope you get along. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Because it's yeah. also I, like, I not only just like know... oh, any old, any old non-white therapist, yes. it's like, no, you should also <laughs> like your therapist. I only know two therapists or counselors that are non-white. Mm -hmm. One only works with students uh, and the, the other one is not, well, she is my friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's, that's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. She's my friend. <laughs> you're like, I'm a student yeah, of life. Yeah. Will you take me now? Yes. And, and she works <laughs> with different populations. So, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, when I was a student at UMD, I did, I did travel down um, after an incident I had here. I did travel down um, to see a counselor in the Twin mm -hmm. Cities. But, you know, that's 150 miles of driving per month to see a counselor. Yeah. You know, and you got to have a place it's, to especially stay. Especially when you're food. like, oh. The, the last thing you want to do when you're depressed also, the last healthy thing is like be in a car alone yep. Yep. for an hour and yep. a half to two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was like you had to go during the day because they weren't open on the weekends. So you had to right. miss class or something and then somehow still come back and say, I have this doctor's note. And then so I, I don't do that, um, but I try. What do you do to maintain your... Yeah, what are your tools now? My tools now, um, you know, I've struggled a little bit more recently. We all have those ebbs and flows where we're doing better at yeah. it. Yeah, Win and winter than, and the holidays yeah, don't help. Tough. Newsflash. Yeah, winter is, <laughs> winter is tough, especially with these, like, record snows that we've had. Um, but, you know, for me, um, I, don't, I don't use any sort of drugs. Mm -hmm. I don't, like, self-medicate in any way because that's not a road I want to take. So Same. I don't drink. So that that helps in certain ways um you know i try to exercise every day or get active every day that's one thing the snow is good for is like i have to shovel <laughs> like if i'm gonna exit or someone's gonna enter i have to shovel i have to use the snow jordan's door, doing I have to... shoulders yeah. only from october <laughs> to march so it's like during the winter my shoulders my chest my arms are like i'm ready right i'm ready to fight right <laughs> Um, during the summer, maybe not so much, but during the summer, you know, we, we go on walks. Um, you know, I try to do my little exercises. I stretch at, at a minimum. I stretch every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, I have gotten really good at saying no. Good. Um, over the past eight years, um, yeah. I have gotten really good at saying nope. Which is but, a great yeah. sentence during the holidays. Yeah. I, I love, no is my favorite thing. I love mm -hmm. telling people no, because it means that I'm trying to do something that's right for me. Yeah. I'm trying to make sure I maintain my level of health. So if somebody asks me something that is going to burden me or tax me, or I'm going to say no. Well, thanks for unless, saying yes to this. <laughs> I unless appreciate it. there's a really strong, compelling reason to say yes, right? Either I'm getting paid that would help me yeah. outweigh the that sort of risks or the, or the pain of what yeah. I'm doing. Um, so I don't do panels for free anymore. You know, people are like, oh, be on this panel. You're talking about race. Where's the money? I'm not yeah. about to sit and talk to a bunch of white people about race unless you're paying me. Because yeah. I know it's going to be three... White ladies who ask the same question at the end of every single panel. So it's like clockwork. And then you what have to relive that. What if you started the panel with just the answer to those questions? <laughs> no. And you're like, hey, let, let's just kick this off. Yeah. Here's, here's these, some FAQs. Just, just get them just out the way. baseline for everybody. <laughs> like, great. We're, yep. Don't ask it. If you ask it, you're out of here. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, yeah. And you should, um, if nothing else, it's like, uh, 
donate me for the exhaustion of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I can make it tax, not yes, tax. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the there's, there's that kind of stuff, you know, making sure I, I get Good. what I need, uh, making sure I'm fed. I also just have a really great network of supporters, you know, um, Daniel, Nathan, I mean, my wife, all these folks um, that at least know enough about what I need or when I might be struggling to step up and, and, and help me. Yeah, um, and which is very helpful. Yeah, it's super helpful. And, and to me, that allows me to continue this work. Um, and it allows me to continue to show up knowing that I have a support system that a lot of folks will help me because they'll recognize where I'm at and when I need it before I'll even ask because, you know, when you're stubborn and socialized and not ask for help and then you have depression and you can't really articulate it, it's like, you know, so having folks that can mark that stuff and say, hey, checking in on you, you want some food? I got some food, I'll bring it over. Oh, cool. And all I have to say is yes or, you know, light brown thumb emoji or whatever. And so, you know, having that network is, is one of the best ways. Um, and then I just, I also have my outlets. I have my, my, um, mental health journal where mm-hmm. I just write stuff about mental health. I don't talk too much about my life, but just, you know, where my mental health is at. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Where did you learn that from? I just started doing it a while ago. Um, but I stopped for a little bit and then I started doing it again. That's fascinating. Yeah. I wouldn't even know where to, this is like one of the, one of the things that made, told me I probably I should go to therapy was that I only had like three feelings I could identify or four and it was like mad sad happy uh-huh. like yeah frustrated like those and then I was like ah yeah the fact that I can't recognize that and so when my therapist asked me to like write down my values mm-hmm. I was like give me an example I was like what do I what is like I what's it theoretically I get what a value is but like can you give can, I was like can you show me like another patient's list yeah. <laughs> just so I get some framework so I can't imagine writing I'm like I don't even know like I think a lot yeah and I was I was saying down on the way over here that I'm like a total plane crier and mm. I have been since I was a kid well any sort of transportation yeah long car drives trains planes cry every time yeah without fail yeah. and but like to write that down ooh, I, I yeah. like threw my pen on the couch just thinking about it I yeah <laughs> it's it's a weird thing like you know sometimes I can write in the moment when it's happening when, uh-huh. when these thoughts or emotions or this emptiness or whatever's going on sometimes I can write it and sometimes I can't and then I try to go back and write you know after being able to get into a space where I can write go back and write just so I can one mark this stuff Mm -hmm. um and and try to mark you know when am I down when am I yeah so I and and I don't sometimes it'll mention stuff in my life um but mostly it's because those are triggers because that thought is the thought that my depression or my anxiety is latched onto like yeah. that's the thing like i'm worried about this totally and but otherwise i don't i don't I'm, it's not like a journal i said this morning i woke up oh, oh yeah blah, blah, blah. i don't do that either. it's it's just <laughs> you know today you know i am depressed and i haven't eaten and i you know i try to mark that stuff i think yeah. it's it's just good for making it real too because i think a lot of times when it's just happening to us inside yeah. our own bodies other people can't see it and other people can't understand it and so even to us, it then becomes like, is this even real? Is well, yeah, because like you're just on your own, like, roller coaster yeah. versus, like, taking a, like, go, like, life is just happening to yeah. you at that point. Yep. And it is very, I mean, uh, I had a tough time for the past couple years, which is in the last year chilled out. But there was a few year chunk where I was, like, not okay. Mm-hmm. And one thing I realized about myself is that I'm very prideful, mm. which... Mm-hmm. Uh, has its downfalls, but 
the good news is, is that I will not fall apart in front of anyone else. And so when there was like things I needed to get done, like mm -hmm. one time in particular, I was just not all right, but I knew I had a flight in the morning. And luckily I lived in like a artist building mm -hmm. and like knew a lot of my neighbors, knew a lot of people on my block and in that small area. And I just hit up a few friends until someone answered. And I was like, this is gonna sound absolutely batshit crazy, yeah. but like I'm having a breakdown and I don't need to talk about it. Yeah. Please, I would rather not talk about it because I don't even know why I'm crying right yep. now, but I yep. can't stop. Can you just come over because I need to pack my bag and I know I won't stop like <laughs> yeah. like a sad, weepy person in front of you. For sure. <laughs> like, and I know I'll just get it together and I'll be hospitable and like offer you water like a normal person yeah. and pack my bag and go to sleep like I should. And they did. They came over and chilled while I did that and we never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, great, I'm done packing my bag. You can go home now. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting how that manifests. I think I'm this similar in a way where mm -hmm. when I'm not doing well, if I have something to do or if I'm in public, I've got the face on. I've got, yeah. you know, like we had a fundraiser last fall. I was kind of a little bit unraveled at mm -hmm. the fundraiser or, or leading up to the fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And I had two panic attacks once before. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously I didn't tell anybody about it because I didn't no. want folks to say, oh, well, we have this thing. What a, oh, yeah. no, no. I was like, I got to get this yeah. fundraiser done. Because also I don't like to hear from yeah. people. And I got this fundraiser. <laughs> exactly. I got this fundraiser done, right? We did this fundraiser, whatever. And, you know, I had mentioned to a couple folks like, no, I can't make this last announcement because, you know, I'm kind of, you know, kind of yeah. falling apart. And then driving home, I had to pull over, you know, had another panic attack. Yeah. Because it was just, I was... I was overwhelmed. I was stressed. My mental yeah. health was getting to me. You know, folks were like being re rude to me, mean to me. And it was like, I just raised, I helped raise $32,000 for this organization. And we beat our goal of $20,000 for this specific campaign. So, you know, it just was not, yeah. it was not an ideal situation, but you know, it, it happened. Well, your work is also sort of thankless. It is. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like it's not, Yeah. it's something that, um, because there also isn't, even though you may have like a financial goal for a mm -hmm, fundraiser, mm -hmm. there isn't really a, a marked, here's where we've won, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know what's going on in people's heads and their hearts or how they're gonna react the next time mm -hmm. they're confronted with an uncomfortable subject or the next time they're like confronted with their own racism or like the opportunity to be like, there's no, it's not even like carbon emissions where you can go, we counted today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good news, guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, the temperature has, like, chilled out or whatever it is. Yes. Like, the count has gone down. It's not, it is not. And so when it is that type of work, um, there's not, like, sure, hitting a financial goal feels good. Mm -hmm. But w until you can see a marked difference in your community and in yep. people's lives and then direct that back to what you do, it's very, it's in fact, not that different than your role at Blackbird where it's, like, the sort of inner workings and like foundation laid isn't what's seen mm -hmm. like the beautiful graphics that Terry does yeah, are seen yeah, yeah. like the the website is seen and even with Terry's work it's like it's not like every single thing she does has her name written on it where yeah. people go like oh yeah that's Terry's work yeah it's just like oh here's this poster it looks great or here's the website and the the good thing about the thing about anything that is designed well is that we don't notice it yeah, right mm -hmm. because we're just enjoying it mm -hmm like and impressed by it we're not mm -hmm. often like oh p.s who did that yeah how's their day going yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that's it is it is thankless work and you know 
obviously I don't do this word work to be thanked or praised or cherished. Right. And even awards, I hate awards. I've I've oh, yeah. I won I think two awards in my life. How awkward. And they're they are so <laughs> horrible. I hate them. And the, I'm the, getting like itchy. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> second one I wanted to turn down. I think it was a couple years ago when I had to speak on stage. <laughs> And I'm, You're I like, just this isn't like, a gift? Yeah. Every time someone tells me, oh, you've been nominated, I'm like, take me off the list. And then a lot of times they're just like, oh, we're going to continue to leave them on the You're list. You're like, and the then, list. Take and so list. I won this award and it was horrible <laughs> because I just, I don't like being on stage. I don't like recognition. I don't want that stuff because it also, it's tough sometimes because a lot of times that recognition feels inauthentic yeah. because like, oh, two weeks ago, y'all were just calling me names and yelling at me, but all of a sudden... You know, for this one night, for this two Especially hours. Especially somewhere like facing, here, I yeah. imagine it's, um, whether it is or isn't, can feel very, like, tokenization. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very tough. And, and, and I will say, the, the only thing I ever really wanted doing this work is for no one to, yeah, racists, I expect. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm used to you, right? <laughs> it's been 28 years. I'm, everything a racist says is like out of some book. It's like they go to right. this, this school and they're the same seven responses. They're like farts. There's yeah. like six smells. It, exactly. It's like you are the same. I know, <laughs> I can, I know what you're going to say. I have a pre-prepared response. I know how I'm going to react. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when folks that are supposedly on your team are, you know, berating you or insulting you or telling lies or half truth, it gets difficult. Yeah. Um, that's the stuff that, that really is... is 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 difficult so not just not thankless there's this added layer of like toxicity and mm. internal hostility mm -hmm. horizontal hostility that i just i again i'm not saying folks are going to be perfect or it's there's not going to be conflict but like if you don't like me or the way i approach the word just just say so you know just come on jordan i don't because think, also you know. we're allowed to disagree exactly like and we're allowed to have different ideas about how even if like, you and I can both agree that we would like to see the world be not racist. Mm -hmm. We're going to have very different ideas of how to get there. <coughs> yes, 100%. And it doesn't even, neither one of us neither has to be right or wrong. Yes. They can just be different ideas. Yeah. And, like, we it, also won't know what, what actually works. Like, one thing I talk to people about a lot is, like, is the goal here for you to be heard or is the goal to change people's opinions? Because mm -hmm. you want to change people's opinions, you yelling yeah. at them. Yeah. There's different, approaches. Yeah, there's different approaches to the work. You At know? the same time, yeah. we do need to yell yeah, about exactly. things. Exactly. Sometimes that, that, that we're works. Like, <laughs> that works for like building people up and empowering them to have the tools to feel confident mm -hmm. in identifying. Like, I mean, I know the moment I finally heard the word microaggression, I was like, oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. here. I have been going like, well, it wasn't overtly, but it was like this yeah. weird stuff. Yeah. And then you just have the word for it. And you're like, oh, that's so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You can all just align it, like <laughs> know what a microaggression is yes. and go like, ah, oh, yes. that's what it was. Cause also you can't identify to me what I'm doing. Like when is, when, when you're knowing that someone's doing something wrong against you, a, you have the, your own emotional journey with that. Mm -hmm. And that is not easy. Like I don't even do well with like, being in like a close relationship and being like disrespected and it has nothing to do with sexism and just has to do with like personal preferences yeah, and yeah, communication yeah, yeah. and i have a hard enough time identifying the language around that and then also reflecting on like am i being hypersensitive am i being whatever that like when something is happening to you and then also you're expected to have the language for that and then also trying to convince someone to hear you and listen and absorb that that's like 
Ugh. Yeah, yeah. There's all there's all sorts of layers to it, and then you know, and then I I'm a pretty. It's like a Russian doll onion. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a pretty outspoken person, and I I typically will stand up for myself unless I think that's detrimental. You know, like I'm not sassy or standing up to myself with in certain police interactions when I'm no, by no, myself because I'm just trying to get out of there. Yeah, just you'd like but, to live. You know, when there are folks in meetings and things like that, yeah, if someone says something or or does something. I'm going to I'm going to say something back to say I don't think that was appropriate or I don't think that was fair. I yeah. I think there's a different way you should have handled this. Yeah. Um and there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of complexities to it which oftentimes can can make it worse when you stand up for yourself. When you say well, yeah, I don't absolutely. like the way you just spoke to me or you're talking about me who I am rather than the idea I suggested and yeah. that's a problem and then you know folks one line I heard recently that I can't wait to use is when someone shares something about their experience that like you can tell that the person sharing it with you is in the wrong mm. is that instead of because i'm perhaps on the spectrum and have like a tendency to be a little bit removed from like how personally people mm. take things mm-hmm. and i'll have a tendency to go like well don't you see that like you obviously did it like i have <laughs> and i've learned the hard way that like that's not what a, a lot of people respond well to and someone shared with me recently that they'll just go, oh, and I'm sure that was a, a really interesting learning experience for you. And I was like, ooh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Because you I'll be very quick to go like, yeah. well, don't you see how you're responsible for... <laughs> um, so the event's June 15th. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll sort out with you when it makes sense to release these episodes. What are you most excited about once this is over? I am most excited about, at least, you know, from a community standpoint, the energy that yeah. we will have built from January to June and the ability to move that energy in mm-hmm. a way that we never have done before in the history of our city, in the history of In a of positive direction. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we can move this energy to build power, to build communal collective power around issues of race, racial justice, healing, reconciliation. We will have engaged more folks in this conversation throughout these next six months than ever before. Um, And so that offers this unique opportunity for us to move this community in a positive direction and to to provide an influx of resources, uh, relationships, connections, so that we can do not just awareness and education, but actually, uh, you know, culture building, culture shaping, uh, mm-hmm. healing work. Uh, so th- that's what I'm most excited about. You know, if we if we accomplish the things we set out to accomplish and we engage the folks we need to engage, we're going to have this awesome opportunity to do some amazing things after June 15. That's awesome. Yeah. The last question I ask everybody on this podcast for sure is what is a subject or person or really anything that you would want to hear a future behind the scenes episode about? Oh, wow. Okay. What a curveball, I know. That is a curveball. <laughs> that is like the last question I expected otherwise I would have did my homework. Sorry, Jordan. Um, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think Wow, that yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, I I'd always love to hear from more cultural organizers. You yeah. know, folks who are organizing outside of traditional methods, 
Um, like, you know, like what? Uh, you know, outside of nonprofits, outside of pol- outside of political campaigns, outside of business, totally. which can look like anything, right? Um, just just different ways that folks are engaging their communities and building building power, building culture, building communities. I mean, that is something that I think. I don't want to say is rare. I think it is happening around the globe in various ways. We just hear about it a lot. Yeah, we don't hear about it a lot. And because they're not traditional, because, well, traditional quotes, in quotes, they're not Western, they're not centered around, like, numbers or capital or, you know, they don't get highlighted, right? When you want to organize a political political campaign there's rules to it right you want to yeah. start a business there's rules to it you want to build up a the economy or or your your value of your neighborhood whatever whatever it is there's these rules to it um and i'd love to hear more from folks who are organizing and like healing and growing their communities without playing by these rules he put that in air quotes for listeners. Yes. They can't hear air quotes. <laughs> yeah, air <laughs> are there, quotes. Are there any people specifically that you can think of or like movements that you can think of? You know, um, the the most vivid example to me is is Adrienne Marie Brown and her her writings, both in, in um, Pleasure Activism and um, Emergent Strategy, as mm-hmm. well as her sister, um, Autumn, Autumn Brown. who's speaking yeah. on Monday, She will right? be here, yeah. Um, they're folks that I listen to their podcasts. I've, I've, I've read Emergent Strategy. Um, and Ooh, another book. Yeah. Did I, you read but it? I didn't read it cover to cover. So that's <laughs> asterisk. If I say I read something 99% he browsed it. Percent of the time is I've read <laughs> excerpts or I read pieces that were really powerful and, yeah. and resonated with me. But, um, you know, they're, what, what they're doing, their message and how they talk about this is, you know, it's, they're folks that I'm still learning from. Um, and I really value their insight and input around how folks engage in this conversation and, and would like to get to, to a point where a lot of the stuff they write about becomes more central to how I approach this work. Um, and so, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I really appreciate your time. I hope that you got a lot from the episode. Please do find Blackbird Revolt across the internet. There are links in the description of this episode. Their work is great. You can see their design work, obviously, on Instagram because it's a visual platform and learn about what they do and hopefully get some inspiration. You can learn more about CJMM also online. Just look up CJMM Duluth and understand what they're doing and maybe even gain some inspiration for your city so that you can do similar work. I think this is really important work that's being done and there is no harm in modeling your community efforts around community efforts that have been made by others. There's a lot that we can always learn from each other. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherum. If you are a supporter of this podcast, just so you know, everyone who is a supporter via anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. Your funds for the months of June and July will be donated to the ACLU. While donations are important for organizations that are centered around just, you know, the things that are important, such as the ACLU, Southern Poverty Law, Northwest Immigrant Rights Program, or is that what Northwest Immigrants Rights? Yeah, I think that's what they're called. Um, Planned Parenthood, etc. At the same time, your own personal work and community involvement is wildly important. 
get to know how your city works, attend city council meetings. If there are times you can't attend, request that they make meetings more accessible and or live streamed. That should already be happening because no one is supposed to be out anyhow. But take an active effort. I promise you the same amount of time that you spend watching shows, TV, etc. can be reallocated to community involvement and take into consideration that most people who are involved in communities have a financial vested interest, you have a life interest, and so do others. Approach it as if it, it was something that helps your career, um, because I'd venture to say that your life and the lives of those around you are more important than any of our careers. Thanks again.